Hello, my beautiful birds, and welcome to the episode of today. So today's episode is all about boundaries. I'm going to be splitting it up into kind of two categories here because they are intertwined. But the first one is how to tell the difference between setting a boundary and controlling behavior. I think if anyone's been on you know, Instagram or Twitter, you've seen the whole Jonah Hill thing about boundaries and what and controlling behavior. So I'm going to really, really break down what is a boundary, what is controlling behavior from your perspective and from the receiving end's perspective. When someone's doing it to, to you, when someone's using the word boundary as a guise for something else. So we're going to be talking about that. Then the second thing we're going to be talking about is how to set proper boundaries, legitimate boundaries, but while also being able to be vulnerable I think a lot of people have this thing of like, oh, but if I'm setting a really strong boundary, is that me having my walls up? It's actually the opposite altogether. When you get really good at setting a boundary, you can become a lot more vulnerable. You can have a lot more freedom when it comes to relationships and meeting people and experimenting and exploring. The walls actually drop down when you have very clear boundaries in your mind about what you're willing to put up with, what you are not willing to put up with, what you deem to be appropriate and what's inappropriate, all of those things. When you get really good, strong, clear, healthy, keyword healthy boundaries, you actually, your wall actually drops. I think when you have unclear boundaries and you're not really sure exactly what it is that you're willing to put up with or not, the walls are up because we don't want to get hurt. I mean, no one wants to get hurt at the best of times, but Life is not about standing here thinking, how do I not get hurt? How do I not get hurt? For some people it is, and they suffer all the time. Life is about, I can't control what happens in the future. So my best bet is to set myself up in the best way possible that if things go well, I can roll with it and really enjoy it and be vulnerable and be present and be here for it. And if things don't go well, then I've set myself up to be there for myself when the chips are down and to bounce back in the most productive way possible. That is how your outlook should be around if you get hurt. It shouldn't be this preemptive, I need to protect myself because then you're just going to suffer twice. And boundaries, setting the right boundaries are the best way to do that. Okay, so there's going to be two sections to that. Um, No major life update. I do have a brain fact. It's a psychology fact today, actually. And then at the very end of the episode, I've also got a listener question. So stay tuned for that. Again, for the listener questions, if you guys do want to send them in, just email info at dyfmpod.com to send in your um, listener question. Anyway, let's get straight into it. Okay, so the brain fact of today is all, it's more a psychology fact, actually, but it's all about reverse psychology. What is reverse psychology? Why do we do it? And why does it affect us so much? And why do we cave when people use reverse psychology on us? So I'm going to be talking about that. So firstly, what is reverse psychology? So basically reverse psychology is when you say something in the hope that somebody is going to do the opposite of what you say. So for example, if you asking them to do something outright, if you think that the person's not going to do that for you. Um, a lot of people use this with their children or they use it with their friends when they're trying to like, you know, twist their arm to do something. If you believe that just asking them outright to do that thing is not going to be successful, you'll turn it around and either request the opposite thing or you'll make a statement that will make the other person feel uncomfortable with what you've said that they need to prove you wrong. So an example of this 
would be if you're talking to your partner and you make a statement like, oh, don't worry about unloading the dishwasher. I know that you never do it anyway. And then your partner might be like, wait a minute. I'll prove, you, I'll prove it that I can do it and they'll go and do that thing. Or it's when you say to your friend, oh, I don't expect you to want to come out tonight because you're the boring one in the group. And then your friend's like, I don't fucking want to be the boring one. I'll fucking prove you wrong. So then they decide to come out. Or statements like, oh, you wouldn't do something like that. Like, I don't think you're, you're not daring enough. That's, that's reverse psychology 101. Someone's like, I will prove to you, I'm going to prove you wrong and I am daring enough or I am brave enough or I am consistent enough or you think I'm not going to do that thing. You know, you want you, you know, trying to motivate someone to do something and say, oh, no, I just don't think you'll do that thing because X, Y, Z. So that's basically reverse psychology. There's many other ways that reverse psychology can be used. I was obviously doing a lot of, every time I do a brain fact, I just read up on a whole bunch of things. And there was all these examples that were used with reverse psychology. One of the reverse psychology things that I read, which I highly doubt would be successful, but it's where you tell your children, don't pick up your toys to get your kids to pick up the toys. I'm not sure how successful that one is. I just don't say that as being successful. If my mum, when I was a kid, told me not to pick up the toys, I would be rejoicing. But anyway, that's just me as a kid. But yeah, there's, there's, there's heaps, of, heaps of different ways. And it's a form of manipulating the outcome of something. So it's you trying to get an outcome. Is it mean? I don't really think it is, depending on how it's delivered and depending on the person. But in general, it's just like, in most cases, it's people trying their luck, trying to see if they can manipulate the outcome. And in a lot of the times, it works because people don't like a statement to be said about them. It doesn't sit well with them. And they have this need to, to, basically prove you wrong. And I'm going to talk about why it is that we do it in, in a sec. So why does it affect us so much when someone makes a comment and then we feel that we need to do the opposite? When someone says you wouldn't do that or you're not like this or I'm not, I wouldn't expect you to do that or you never do this anyway and then you feel you have to do the opposite of that person. So the reason overall psychology works in most cases is when people feel that they're being pressured to do something or pressured in into um, saying something or when they're being pigeonholed into a category, they don't like that feeling. So they decide to do the absolute opposite of that so they can assert their sense of control or assert their autonomy in that situation. So that is why reverse psychology works so well. Oh, you're going to call me boring? Well, I'll show you that I actually have control of this situation and I'll show you that I'm not boring. Oh, you're going to you're going to say that I'm not consistent? I'll prove you wrong. You know, you can't pigeonhole me. You can't label me. You can't control me. So I'm going to prove you wrong and do the opposite. That is why reverse psychology is so successful because people don't like the feeling of being controlled and being labeled and they like to prove to you that they're the ones in control and they have autonomy over, over themselves and control over the situation. And someone who's really good at reverse psychology understands this very well, whether they're consciously aware of it or whether they just have used it as a tool and it's worked really well. But they understand that human response that most people have. So they will use that to manipulate a situation time and time and time again. You can get a, if you're very good at using um, reverse psychology, you can get a lot out of your partner or out of your friends or your family or your colleagues by using this. You can get a lot of things done. You can get people around you to do the tasks that they should be doing. There's so much that you can use with reverse psychology. Now, from the receiving end, how to not get swayed by reverse psychology 
when you genuinely don't want to be doing something. Firstly, you've got to identify when it is reverse psychology. Normally when someone's using reverse psychology, they're going to say something that kind of doesn't sit really right with you. Often what they're saying doesn't really align with their overall goals or overall what they want in general. So for example, using that scenario of a friend wanting you to go out. If they say, oh, no, nah, no, nah, you're not going to go out because you're so boring. If you know deep down that your friend wants nothing more than you to go out with them, then that's an indicator that they're using reverse psychology because if they were just being dead honest, they would say, please come out. I'd love for you to come out with me. But they know that you respond negatively to that. So they're using a different tactic. And then of course, the outcome, if, if what they're saying, which doesn't align with what you think they actually want, if what they're saying if you were to do the opposite of that, if it benefits them, then it's likely them using reverse psychology. So that's the best way to figure out if someone's using it on you. If you say, if I do the opposite of what you're saying now, if that benefits you, then there you fucking go. Then it's reverse psychology. If they say something and you actually do the opposite of that and it doesn't benefit them, then they're not using reverse psychology. They're trying to manipulate the situation to get something to benefit them and possibly you as well, but them. now. So number one is to identify it. The second one is to just straight up call them out and say, I know you're using reverse psychology, but it's not going to work on me right now. If they deny it, get defensive, whatever, if you don't feel comfortable saying something like that, you also can just question them on this argument and ask them to back that statement or back that claim. So again, back to the thing of, oh, you're boring, you wouldn't come out. Just say, do you really think I'm boring? I feel that you probably wouldn't be hanging out with me if I was such a boring person. But if that's how you feel, I'd love you, I'd love for you to expand on that. And then it kind of, they, they'll backpedal in most cases. They'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. Or you could say, do you really think I do nothing around the house? Because if you feel that way, let's talk about it. And then you're kind of calling them out without directly saying, I know you're using reverse psychology. You're kind of saying, you know, this, I'm, I'm questioning what you've just said and I need you to back up that statement. And then if they mean it, they'll have really good evidence to back it up. If they were using reverse psychology, they're likely just going to backpedal out of what they just said. Um, another one that's really good to just simmer it down and for it to go nowhere is to, if it's not difficult for you to do so, is to just agree with them and then see how they respond to that. So if someone says, oh, you know, you're so boring, you never go out, just say, yeah, I know. And it kind of just dies. There's nothing really there. You don't have to, you don't feel like you've got to prove something to them. You don't feel like you have to, you know, show that you're the funnest person alive when you're around them. You just kind of agree with them. And then they likely will backpedal as well. They'll be like, well, no, 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 you're not boring because they're like, oh, this isn't working. And now I've offended them when the opposite is what I wanted. I wanted them to be playful and come out with me. And now I've just either offended them or now they've kind of just agreed with me and I've gotten nowhere with that statement. And then another thing that you can do is you don't agree or you don't disagree. You just make a statement where you kind of give that person the right to have an opinion. So basically you say, you know, fair enough that you feel that way. You're entitled to your opinion. So you haven't agreed, you haven't disagreed, but then you also don't feel manipulated or swayed to do that thing. You know, so if you feel like it's making your blood boil and you have to prove that you have control over the situation, if you have to assert your autonomy, then what you could do instead is just say, that is your opinion and that's fair. Like you're, you are genuinely entitled to your opinion. So those are a few ways to not get caught up in this because a lot of people, when something's said 
against them. Even if they know it's a manipulation tactic, they cannot handle it. They don't want that thing being said. It grinds their gears and they just have to prove the other person wrong. And sometimes it just is exhausting trying to prove the other person wrong. Now, I will say that in most cases when reverse psychology is used, it's very much for playful reasons between friends and between partners and parents and children and stuff like that. So I definitely don't think it's a toxic manipulation tactic in most cases. There might be some scenarios where unhealthy relationships might use reverse psychology to really manipulate that person to feel controlled. Um, but in general, reverse psychology is often used in a, in a very non-unhealthy, non-toxic way. Um, but yeah, that's how it works. And I think it's really interesting and you can use it in a playful way with, with your friends and you can notice when it's being used on you. And it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because even when you know it's being used on you, a lot of the time it still works. It still makes you do the opposite because we've just got this thing built into us that we have to prove that we are in control of ourselves and the other person has to know that. So I'll do the opposite of what you tell me just so you can see that you're not in control I'm in control. We've got that crazy need. So I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, that's the brain fact of today or the psychology fact of today. Let's get into the episode. Okay, so let's get straight into the topic of today's episode and that is all about boundaries. I did say I was splitting it up into two points. So let's start with the first one and it's telling the difference between or or pulling apart boundaries versus controlling behavior. So the first thing that you need to understand about a boundary is that a boundary is personal to yourself and things that directly involve you and you alone and has nothing to do with hurting or controlling somebody else. So a good way to understand what this is is when someone says that they're setting a boundary and you're in a relationship with that person and they've set a boundary but it's very specific to a behavior that you're doing and they're trying to change that behavior or manipulate that behavior, then it's too specific and it can't possibly be a boundary. A boundary should be the same whether you're single or whether you are in a relationship. It has to do with you and how you are treated full stop. Okay. So you wanting your partner to do something or you wanting them to behave a certain way, that's got nothing to do with your boundaries. You can request certain things of your partner. You could have a discussion around certain things But for you to say, oh, it's crossing a boundary if you go and do that thing, no, it is not. No, it is absolutely not. Because then going by that, then where do you end up? Because the other person could turn around and say, well, you're crossing my boundary if you don't fucking... And like, that's just not how it works. A boundary has to be specific to you and it's got to be about protecting you and your health and your mental health, okay? It's not around saying that behavior that you're doing with that person that's got nothing to do with me because I'm now a third party to that situation is crossing a boundary. Now, if you're not happy with how someone lives their life and you're saying, well, I need you to live in this exact way for me to be happy, then maybe you just shouldn't be with that person. But for you to control what they do and use the guise of boundary to make yourself feel better about it, then you're delusional. Because basically, when the moment someone does that, you're putting your need to control somebody above their need to feel protected, okay? You're saying, it's more important for me to control you and for you to appease me than it is for you to be comfortable and happy and feel like you've got you know, control over your own circumstances, which is obviously a power shift and extremely unfair, not to mention a massive manipulation tactic if it works. So the way I look, uh, uh, so my analogy for setting boundaries, 
to understand it a little bit better is imagine that you've got your house, right, with all your little possessions in your home and how everything's set up and then the other person has their own little house with all their little possessions and everything. And each possession represents, you know, a passion of yours, an actual thing of yours, a belief system, um, a way of life, a certain routine, you know, mental health, all of these possessions in this little home that's got a, you know, that's closed in represents all these things. And the other person has the same thing. And when the other person enters your home, they respect those things. Okay. And when you enter that person's home, you respect their things. You can't enter their home and say that sofa over there, get rid of it. Because if you don't, then you are not respecting my boundaries. No, but if they're in your home and they're throwing shit all over your sofa, you can say you're crossing a boundary. You can't do that because this is my thing that matters to me. And if you do that, then it shows that you're not respecting my boundary. Okay. And if you go to their home and you start throwing shit on their possessions, which are a representation for their beliefs, their, you know, things that matter to them, things that make them feel safe. If you start doing that, then you are crossing a boundary and you are like encroaching their boundary. Then when people enter a relationship, that is when certain things are discussed. There are certain things that you say, I'm bringing this with me. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I respect that. Okay, cool. I'm bringing this with me. This is really important to me. How do you feel about that? Yes, no, that's really good. And that's how people meet their match. You meet people who respect each other's boundaries And there's certain things that you then grow together. There's certain things that you shed. But ultimately, the people that you end up choosing to stay in your life are the ones that you can bring the things that matter the most to you and feel that they're safe and enter into a world with someone who you are respecting and keeping safe the things that matter to them. And then you can build a home together where you've got, you know, still boundaries within your possessions that you've brought to your home together and that person as well. And you can live in this respectful place. If you've met somebody, right? And they've got their little boundaries, you've got your boundaries. And then you start to get to know each other and they're like, oh no, no, no. My house stays the same. Everything's fine. But now you've got to come into my home. You can leave all your shit at the door. You're just moving into my little imaginary home with all these, you know, boundaries. And now you've got to just live by my rules. Then there's, there's a shift in power here and you should not be with that person full stop, okay? So when you enter a relationship, think of that analogy. Think of the little homes and when you enter a relationship, you should join it into one bigger home. You're not stepping into their home where they're telling you what to do and it shouldn't be the other way around either, okay? But that home, quote unquote, that you have, that bubble where everything matters to you should not have to be destroyed in order for you to be able to enter a relationship. You can still bring your shit into the relationship and feel protected and the other person brings their thing into the relationship too and feel protected. But you are now under a bigger roof where you have both agreed that you are respecting each other's things and due to that agreement, you are entering a relationship. There should never be a relationship that starts without an agreement where you are respecting the things that matter to the other person. Never, never, never. The amount of people, including myself in my past, that will enter a relationship without understanding what the other person's, you know, boundaries and values are and without truly knowing if that other person understands what yours are, And then you enter a relationship and then you just suffer and 
continue to suffer and then the relationship breaks down and then your self-esteem and your self-love is on the floor and you, you know, your boundaries have been absolutely crossed and then you wonder, oh my God, what happened? What happened? That was horrible. This, this conversation never took place at the beginning. And if you're in a position when you feel like you're, you really like someone and you're entering a relationship, you're like, oh, well, I can't start talking about that stuff now. If not now, then when? If you can't sit down with someone who you barely know and say, these are the things that matter to me, do you, are you comfortable living with someone like that or not? Because in, in the Jonah Hill example, he talks about, oh, I don't want you, you know, hanging out with men or whatever or surfing with men or whatever it was that he was saying. That should have been discussed at the very beginning. Because for me, if a person says that to me, I don't look at that as a boundary or not, but I'm like, uh, red flag, I'm not fucking interested. And then it gives me the opportunity to walk away. But you need to have this discussion from the beginning. And if you don't feel comfortable having a discussion from the beginning, ask yourself, what is it about this person that doesn't make me feel comfortable enough to explain what my boundaries are? There's always these little signs that we pass up constantly. And that's one of the signs if you don't feel comfortable talking to them. But basically, that home, quote unquote, that you have, that bubble where everything matters to you should not have to be destroyed in order for you to be able to enter a relationship. And mind you, boundaries are different to things that are fun or a hobby or something that's like a personality trait. When you enter a relationship and when you progress through your relationship, certain sacrifices will need to be made. So for example, you can't be someone that says, oh, you can, you can be an asshole if you want, but a boundary, for example, is not when someone says, oh, well, I actually want to be out with my mates every single weekend. And if I don't get that, then then that's, then you're crossing my boundaries. And then you go and have children and then you expect your partner to pick up your slack because you use the guise of, oh, but if I don't get to do what I want to do, then it's my boundaries that are being crossed. So I still have to go away for the weekend with my mates while you take care of the household and the child. That doesn't work that way. That's not a boundary, okay? because it's negatively impacting your partner. So if my boundary negatively impacts my partner and is not directly involving me, then it's not a boundary. It's me failing to understand what it means to pull my weight in a relationship. It's me failing to understand what it means to compromise when more and more responsibilities get added to the relationship. It's also me being an absolute shit cunt and putting myself well above my partner and putting my need to get, you know, my secondary needs met and my need to control my partner above my partner's primary needs. That's what it is. Okay? So when someone says I don't want you talking to that person of of, you know, a threatening gender, that's them saying, I'm putting my insecurities and protect and the protection of those insecurities well above your needs to just have fun and have friends. That's more important. Me and my insecurities are more important than that. That's what you're saying. It's got nothing to do with boundaries. You're not wanting your, your partner to um, not have friends of a gender that you deem to be threatening is your problem. It's not their problem. It's your problem. And therefore, you have to deal with it, not them. It has nothing to do with you've crossed this line, you've this, you've that. And that's something that has to be established at the very beginning. If you're someone that's like, absolutely not, I cannot look past the fact that my partner can have, you know, a, a relationship, a friendship with that particular gender that I deem to be threatening, then find someone who agrees with you. 
But that has nothing to do with the boundary. Find someone who's like, yep, fucking I'm on your page. You also can't have friends of that that threatening gender. And then the two of you can be in your fucking hectic bubble and live your best life. But for you to go into someone's life and say this life that you're living that's worked very well for you thus far and that's caused no dramas in your life thus far and that is enriching your life. No, 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 no. You having that relationship that is really good for you crosses my boundary you're now being toxic. It doesn't work that way. That person who does that needs to find someone equally as toxic as them so they can live in their toxic little bubble and be blissfully, you know, unaware of the reality of life or live under a rock. They're your only two options. But the issue is that a lot of people will enter relationships unknowingly with someone who's then going to, you know, not too far down the line is going to manipulate situations and then turn it around to be like, you're not respecting their mental health journey by saying that you're crossing this line and you're crossing this line and you're crossing that boundary. And then you end up giving in to them. And the moment you give in to someone who uses the excuse as a boundary by, uh, to manipulate your behavior, the moment you give in to that person, it makes it really hard to then back out of that and to say, I'm not going to do that anymore, or I disagree with that because you've already done it once. And that is how people get away with murder in relationships. That's how they get away with, you know, you, you, by the time the relationship breaks down, because it inevitably will, you end up sitting there saying, oh my God, how the fuck did I end up agreeing to this and, 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 and put up with that and have someone control me so much and bowing down to this person? How did that happen? It's because when you when you do it once, when someone manipulates you once and they get away with it, it's easier to do it the second time, it's easier to do it the third time. And then by the time you realize that this has happened to you, 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 you're drowning. You can't fight for yourself anymore, not only because you don't know where to begin because you've let them get away with it for so long, but also because your self-esteem and your confidence is on the ground. So even if you can acknowledge that there's an issue, the likelihood of you doing something about it at that point is extremely low because you can't even back yourself anymore. That's what's happened. And, and people are really good, people who can manipulate others in a relationship, they understand that. They've likely done it in the past and now they're doing it to you. You need to understand something straight away and this is about yourself and this is about any person that you engage in a relationship with. If someone is controlling, they are controlling, okay? Don't put an excuse on it because there might be reasons that led them to be the way they are, but don't justify it, don't excuse it. You're either controlling or you're not. You either want to control someone else because it makes you feel better about yourself or you don't. There's no 50-50 here. You either are or you're not. Can people change? Absolutely they can. But if you're trying to control someone's behavior in one thing, you're not going to then turn around and say, oh, change my mind today, go do that thing. You either are controlling or you're not controlling because it's got to do with your values and it's got to do with your fears and your insecurities. So the moment someone displays controlling behavior, you need to I mean, you can run for the hills or you need to address it immediately then and there. But the reason you don't address it then and there at the start of a relationship is because it's at the very beginning of the relationship. It's in the honeymoon period and you don't want to believe what you see. We hate, we have this 
cognitive bias. And when we want something so badly and when that person enters our life and is 90% of what we want and then there's this 10% of like uh, behaviours that we really don't like, we will come up with every excuse under the sun as to why they were snappy at me that day or why they, you know, oh, they must have not slept properly or maybe or this or, oh, no, but the ex was really awful to them. Oh, no, but oh, the excuses that you come up with are – unbelievably creative you could probably win an Oscar for like screenwriting because of how creative you are with those excuses but at the end of the day nothing that you can say to justify someone's controlling behavior is going to take away the fact that they are controlling so it has to be addressed in the beginning and this whole you know oh it's a boundary no it is not get them to listen to this episode so they can truly understand the difference between boundary and controlling behavior and if you can't have that conversation at the beginning, then you're already fearing this person and that's not a good, that's not a good sign. Okay, now I really want to get onto the second point of this episode because we're already half an hour in. Lol. And the second part of it is how to set clear boundaries while also being able to be vulnerable. So not having your walls up because I feel like it can be quite um, confusing, the two of them. I think a lot of people have like – my walls are up, you can't hurt me, you can't have access to this inf private information about me or you can't have access to this side of me, that way I don't get hurt, you're never going to, you know, whatever. That's not necessarily a boundary, that's more you pushing people away, you know, you're, you're ultimately hurting yourself and not actually protecting yourself, you're hurting yourself. You know, protecting yourself is allowing yourself to still experience the really good things, to st still experience true and deep connection but making sure that you've got this standard of living that you know makes you happy and you are still making sure that you're watering all those things in your life that make you happy, okay? And then when you're doing that and when you're protecting those things that make you happy and, and feeding them, then that is you having boundaries, okay? You letting someone stomp all over that and tell you what to do and when and whatever, that's you not having boundaries. You haven't protected those things that matter to you that equal a fulfilling life including friendships, family, relationships, belief systems, all the above. So when it comes to setting boundaries without having your walls up, again, similar to what I was mentioning before, it is completely personal to you. So basically you have to say these things that matter to me and this, this standard of how I treat myself is going to be the absolute bare minimum. When someone comes into my life, I'm willing to compromise on certain things as far as, you know, living arrangements and this and that and timetable. We've got to, you know, kind of meet in the middle with a few things. But as far as what is my minimum standard for living, that can't drop below where I've already set it. So when someone enters my life, I'm willing to work harder. I'm willing to have more on my plate. I'm willing to put in the effort. I'm willing to help someone else. But my minimum standard will not drop. I have set that standard. You are not entering my life to set that standard for me. It's been set. The job is done. Thank you very much. You don't have to do it for me. I've set the standard. If you don't set the standard, then you are at the mercy for someone else to set the standard for you. So it's very important that you set that standard. And that is how you treat yourself, what you do with your spare time, how you talk to yourself, how you, what, how you deal with your own dreams and wishes and your belief about yourself. Um, how you practice self-care and self-love, how you stand up for yourself and defend yourself or remove yourself from situations that you know are not good for you. That is the minimum standard, okay? So you've created this thing and you've created it already right now. You right now where you're sitting listening to this podcast, you already have that minimum standard. 
And a lot of you listening right now are probably not happy with that minimum standard. You're thinking this could be a whole lot better. I could be, I could be treating myself a whole lot better. This minimum standard, could, I could raise the bar like 10 rungs. And that's probably what I need to do in order to be truly happy with myself. Because a lot of people have this minimum standard without ever putting any thought into it. So you've kind of created this standard by default, right? And then you've never really put much thought into it. And then all these other interactions with people, you've been hurt before, this, that. And then you've kind of been left with the leftovers and you're like, oh, wow, okay, so this is it. But the beauty of it is you can change that at any point. You can add on to it. You can improve it. You can increase it. And the best thing about this minimum standard is that from this point onwards, everyone who stays in your life is because they're leveling up to treat you the way you're treating yourself. And any new person that enters your life has to meet you there or exceed it, but they can't be any lower. That's a boundary. That's you setting the boundary. You're not saying, you now have to act this way. No, 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 no. It's, if you're entering my life, this is how I'm treating myself. If you treat me the same way, Great, you're welcome to stay as long as you want. However, if you start treating me like shit, if you start disrespecting me, if you start trying to manipulate me, if you start trying to change things about me and tell me what to do, then it's just not going to work because that minimum standard, that's not going to drop. If anything, it'll get higher, but it's not going to drop. So now, because you've done that for yourself, you have the freedom to be vulnerable. You can be open. You can talk to people about your fears and your passions and your loves. You can say, I love you to someone. You can say, let's go on a date. I'm interested. And then if that person, you know, rejects you or hurts you or, you know, ghosts you or strings you along, it sucks. You will be sad, but you never dropped below the minimum standard of how to treat yourself. So that is your protective factor. You don't have to put up a wall and say, oh, you can't, you can't come in and because you might rip my heart out because you protecting yourself from someone ripping your heart out gets you nowhere because nothing can guarantee if someone's going to break your heart or not. Nothing. No relationship is safe enough from heartbreak. No relationship. No home is safe enough. No job is safe enough. Nothing in your life is secure enough for you to feel that everything in your future is absolutely guaranteed. So knowing this information is actually helpful because it makes you realize that instead of thinking, I have to secure my future, I've got to make sure all these things are secure. Because you can't do that, your focus is now on, I've got to make sure that the things that I can control are in mint condition. And that is my minimum standard for how I treat myself, for how I live my life. So I, I always talk about how much I always loved being single, loved being single. It's got nothing to do with Tyrone. I fucking love Tyrone. But because I had gotten to a point and it was definitely not always like this, I can fucking tell you that for free, but I've, I've eventually got it to a point where I loved myself sick and I loved every aspect of my life, everything about it. I loved my, my, my routine, my job that I was studying, my social circles, my family. I had it down to a fine art. And it got to a point where I was like, I'm genuinely open to find love now, but I just don't have the time right now. And I'm really happy. And I'm really like, that's kind of where I was at. And then I just knew that if anyone was to enter my life at that point, I was pretty excited because I'm like, what fucking person is going to enter my life and make me excited to date? Because it's got to be someone fucking awesome because I love being single. So the, the, the bar had been set pretty high in a good way. I wasn't being picky. I wasn't being, you know, I was just like, I just, I love my life. So I was excited at the prospect of someone that would make me excited enough to want to date them. And I just knew that 
I would have no problem admitting to, because I was so comfortable with where I was at, I'd finally gotten it to that point and I knew exactly what I would be willing to put up with and exactly what I would not be willing to put up with. That's got to be clear in your head before you date anyone. And if you are dating someone, still get it clear in your head and let that person know what that standard is. Make it clear. Have a clear idea. But when I was clear, clear about those things, I was okay I wasn't thrilled at the thought, but I was okay with admitting that I was looking for love or that I'd be interested in finding someone or that I would be open to love. I was okay with really letting my walls down to the extent that when Tyrone and I met, I, I accelerated things a lot quicker than I had done in the past with other relationships. I was way more vulnerable and playful and, and affectionate with Tyrone because in my past – I have been a bit cold. I noticed myself in hindsight, I'd never noticed it at the time, but in hindsight, I was cold toward my partner when I would start dating them. I was very like a bit of a hard ass, a bit cold, a bit, you know, like, you know, closed off. And it obviously, you know, well, or maybe not obviously, but it, you know, I, I didn't achieve anything extra being that way. And I myself didn't enjoy the relationship more being that way. So whether you're cold or whether you're warm, the only difference is how much you're enjoying it and how much you're getting out of the relationship because how vulnerable you are. And there's no question that the more vulnerability you pour into the relationship and the partner pours into the relationship, the more chances of it succeeding because you get to know each other on a deeper level. And I found that once I was so comfortable with who I was, I had no problem getting super vulnerable and and affectionate and warm and showing that side of myself that I only really ever showed to my family and, you know, my closest friends. Like I'm not even a touchy-feely person. Like I have to be really close with a person to be touchy-feely. But I was like that with Tyrone pretty quickly. And I think it's due to the fact that I had gotten to that point and my walls had never been lower, but my minimum standard had never been higher. So I think that's what you've got to do for yourself. And setting that minimum standard for yourself is the boundary that you want to be setting for yourself of like this, I won't be treated any less than how I treat myself. Now, for the really hard thing, and this is the, the, the biggest one that most of us fail at, unfortunately, but a proper boundary is when you are genuinely willing to walk away from things that have crossed that boundary or things that are not working for you. This is the hardest one. When, because most of the time we'll set a boundary. We're really happy about that boundary that we've set. We're like, yeah, this makes sense. This is great. This is how I want to be treated. This is perfect, right? But then someone that you really like, you start seeing them and they cross that boundary. And you just, you note it. You talk about it. You think about it. You tell your friends about it, but you cop it. But a boundary is not a boundary if you are not protecting it and if it is not protecting you. You using it as some word gets you nowhere. If someone is pushing your boundary and you don't walk away and you don't put a stop to it, then it's not a good boundary, is it? If someone displays traits of controlling behavior and it causes a fight and then nothing else – it's no longer a cross boundary. It's just something that's upset you and hurt you. But if the boundary has been crossed, the boundary no longer exists unless you've done something about it. There has to be a repercussion for the boundary being crossed. Otherwise, that boundary doesn't exist. Okay? So you can say all you want, oh, but this is my boundary, this is my boundary, but my partner keeps crossing it. It's not a boundary anymore. It's not a fucking boundary anymore. That fence doesn't exist, obviously, because your partner's well beyond that fence. And they keep encroaching closer and closer and closer to the things that are going to continue to hurt you. 
So remember, a proper boundary is either one where once crossed, you walk away, or where there is a consequence to that boundary being crossed. And that consequence is something that you have to decide, whether it be, I no longer want to date you, you now have to go back into this, you know, acquaintance zone if you can't remove them altogether. Whether it be you now need to display these certain things in order for me to feel like we can continue forward in the relationship, given that I set the boundary, you knew about it, you then crossed it knowingly, and now I've got to do something about it. Because firstly, the person has to know that it's a boundary, number one. They've got to know it. Number two, if they then cross it, knowing that they've crossed it, you have to let them know, and then there has to be some, some repercussion. If you don't put in a repercussion, then they are controlling you. They are manipulating you. They are doing something to hurt you. And a lot of the time, because it sounds really toxic what I'm saying, but a lot of the time they might not see it as toxic because they're so used to treating people that way or they're so used to doing a certain thing that for you you don't like, but for them it's completely normal. But you have to raise it and you have to say, if this happens again, X, Y, Z, you have to have an answer for it. Because the reason you've set the boundaries because it's important to you. For you to be like, oh, they crossed it again and it's the 20th time. How important is this boundary to you? I can't answer that question. Only you can. Because if you're not willing to set a repercussion, why does the boundary exist in the first place? Who's respecting who here? Who is disrespecting who here? Are you disrespecting yourself here? Or is your partner disrespecting you here? Sort it out, get clear, get clear on where the line is. Because if you keep letting that line get crossed, the line doesn't exist. Be, Be stricter with yourself. And when you do that, your self love, your self respect, your comfort within yourself skyrockets because you think this is the line. I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to be open. I'm willing to have my walls down. And the reason I'm willing to do that is because when someone crosses it, I protect myself. When the chips are down, I am here for myself. It's not like, oh, I let everyone just shit all over me fucking, and keep shitting and shitting until I'm buried in shit. Of course, I'm going to have my walls up next time. Because I wasn't able to protect myself or to stand up for myself or to do something when the boundary was crossed. So now next time I start dating someone, I'm worried that they're going to hurt me, cross a boundary, or that things are going to go south, and I'm not going to know what to do about it. The moment you learn to stand up for yourself and have those boundaries and protect them, and when they're crossed, to follow through, then your respect for yourself, your willingness to be vulnerable, Your comfort in your own skin will just get better and higher and better and better and better. All right? That is the key. Life is not about sheltering you from things that could be happening in the future. You don't have a crystal ball. You don't know who will be good and who won't be good from the outset. You don't always know that. But it is about knowing where to draw the line based on what you've learned along the way. How to teach people how to treat you, how to say no, how to say yes, all of those things. And when you learn that, then you become really good at setting boundaries. You become really good at learning to love yourself again. You become really good at self-confidence. And then you also become really good at being vulnerable and playful and genuinely falling in love, like as if it's the first time, because of this this minimum standard that you've set for yourself. 
Hopefully that helped, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed putting this all together because it's all things that I'm clearly very passionate about because I'm probably like yelling for half the episode and waving my arms in the air as I as I record this. Um, but that is all. Now we have a little bit of time left for the listener question. Okay, let's get straight into the listener question of the day. Hi, Queen Alexis. Love that. I absolutely adore your podcast. Today's episode was fascinating and I thoroughly enjoyed the topics of dopamine, cortisol and instant gratification. I noticed I have an issue with instant gratification and seek out behaviours that play into it. I'm a case manager for high-risk teenagers and my job is extremely stressful and I feel burnt out, which is why I'm engaging in these behaviours. My question is, how can I build up delayed gratification behaviors? What does delayed look like and are there steps in achieving this? Thank you for reading and I can't wait to hear from you. Okay, very good question. I feel that in general when people have really high stress jobs or high intensity jobs, what you want to do is you want to go home and you want to be completely switching off. Now, a lot of people have very demanding jobs emotionally, like mentally demanding jobs. And when people have mentally demanding jobs, often it's they have a very limited amount of willpower because, for example, if you get home and you think, oh, I have to cook dinner, you probably have the physical energy to be cooking dinner, but you probably don't have the willpower to get off the couch and do it because you've had such a, a taxing day mentally. Okay. If you're someone that just does physical tasks for work, which often it's combined with mental tasks, but if you've got like a big physical load, you might be like, I don't have the physical capacity to do any housework. I'm spent, but I could probably do some like a mental load task, maybe depending, but I do feel that stress in general, when there's enough stress on the body and that includes physical, emotional, whatever, it is cumulative to an extent. So when it, you reach a threshold, you kind of need to take a break. What I would recommend that you do in this scenario is that you don't necessarily, if you are actually exhausted and burning out and you've had a stressful day, you don't necessarily have to get to a point where you are trying to delay gratification because delayed gratification often implies work involved. What I would recommend is that you change the what you deem to be a way to wind down. So instead of using social media to wind down and then watching videos, 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 and then depleting yourself of all these, you know, you, you know, you're, you're spiking your dopamine, dropping, spiking do- dopamine, dropping. Then at the end of the, the evening, you are feeling very depleted mentally and emotionally. You have zero willpower, even more so than when you got home to do absolutely anything. And then you end up going to bed and then your sleep quality may not be as good, may or may not be depending on the individual, but may not be as good because you've just reverted to these tasks that are like spiking your dopamine, instant gratification. What I would recommend you do is just find exercises where you're still, where it's still pleasant and you are able to relax. So really be winding down. So things like reading, you know, spending some time outside, just listening to some music, going for a walk, um, things that are not excessively stimulating because while instant, sorry, while delayed gratification 
is extremely important. It's not necessarily something that you have to use when you're burnt out and you need to rest. Sometimes what you need to do is rest and then all you're doing is stimulate, 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 stimulate because maybe you're trying to switch off from how intense the day was and it feels like you're switching off because it's such an intense distraction. But distraction doesn't equal relaxing. Distraction doesn't equal switching off. So you end up causing yourself more stress and more mental load than what you realize. So separate the two. If you get home and you're burnt out, focus on resting. If it's the weekend and you're trying to, you know, find, you know, you're trying to get something done, then I would use something like delayed gratification. And that is where you pick a reward. It can be any reward, but I would have it as, you know, maybe I'm going to meet up with this friend for a coffee or maybe I'm going to go out. If I, if I get these certain things done, I'll go out for dinner with this particular person or I'll take myself out on a solo, you know, date or adventure or I'll go into whatever it is. But you pick a reward. I'm going to watch my favorite movie I'm going to have a bath with candles. You pick the reward. But ideally you want to aim for the reward to also be rewarding but not something that's going to spike and then dip your dopamine levels. So then you might be asking, well, when can I do these like, you know, social media? When can I, when can I ever do these things if it's always spiking my, my dopamine? I think those things – well, not even I think. Those things work – if, it's, if everything's in balance. So if you're able to do delayed gratification, like I'm going to do all the laundry before I get this, you know, before I get to eat this treat that I've made for myself, or I'm going to do X amount of things before I sit down and, and read a book that I'm really, really keen to, to get onto. Um, if you mix that with then small snippets of timed intervals where you jump on social media and you can check a few things, then it's fine because you're not depleting all your dopamine sources in instant gratification. You've got a healthy balance. Yes, you're doing some instant gratification, but then you're doing delayed gratification. But yeah, basically to answer your question, I've kind of rambled on, but to answer your question, I think for you, the main thing when you get home after the extremely stressful job where you're burnt out is to wind down and relax. Low levels of stimulation, you want to be winding down. Um, you don't necessarily need to be loading your plate with a whole bunch of things. So I would just pick lo um, low stimulation, enjoying in enjoyable tasks. I hope that helped. And you also did suggest more episodes on dopamine, cortisol, and um, addictive personalities. There will definitely be more of that to come. I think I've done an episode on addiction. I'm going to look back. And if I haven't, then I should definitely be doing one on addiction. Amazing. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. Love you guys so much. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.